0: This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Ramnan and I'm Jamal Dajani. Jamal, the genocidal attack and campaign against Palestinians in Gaza and and the West Bank of Jerusalem for that matter continues unabated today. The latest statistics that we have are 9,488 Palestinians murdered in Gaza, 24,158 are injured, of the 9,500 uh, who have been killed so far, almost 4,000, have been children. The number of Palestinians killed in the West Bank is 145, and at least 2,100 have been injured. The campaign to destroy and ethnically cleanse and genocidally cleanse Gaza of Palestinians continues unabated. Despite the international call from basically millions of people who have demonstrated From Paris, from London, from New York, from D.C. to San Francisco, there were millions of people in the street demanding a ceasefire and an end to this genocide. And despite that, Joe Biden, Antony Blinken, and Benjamin Netanyahu and his government have refused a ceasefire and continue to shell civilians, refugee camps, and hospitals as we speak. Jamal, the genocide continues unabated. We're going to be talking about that today in the current context we're going to be talking about Hassan Nasrallah's speech that he gave on Friday and talk about the implications but before we do that we're going to hear a great interview that you did with Dr. Anis Germani who's a medical physician in, in internal medicine and expert on health systems policy and he's going to talk about the health crisis in Gaza and its aftermath of Israel's genocide he's going to talk about basically medical apartheid differences in life expectancy pollution depleted uranium and hospitals in Gaza, Jamal, that have been turned into morgues. That's absolutely right. And of course, just adding to your stats, one and a half million
1: people in Gaza are internally displaced. This is according to the United Nations uh, figures. But first, let's watch Dr. Anis Germani. Defying the UN's resolution demanding a ceasefire in Gaza and flouting popular outcry worldwide, Israel has continued its ongoing massacre of Palestinians and obliterating vital infrastructure in Gaza. Although Israel states its goal is to defend itself by destroying Hamas, government documents reveal there is a plan to empty Gaza entirely by expelling the remaining population into Egypt's Sinai Peninsula in a massive ethnic cleansing. Israel appears intent on laying waste to the Gaza Strip and rendering it so toxic that Palestinians will either be forced to leave or die by remaining. It has created conditions so dire that after its genocide by bombings uh, ceases, pandemics, rampant infectious diseases, lack of care, food, and water will result in the largest number of Palestinian fatalities yet. This will be Gaza's long, slow genocide by attrition. Joining us on Arab Talk this week is Dr. Anis Germani, he is a medical doctor specializing in internal medicine, as well as a researcher in health systems policy. In his two recent articles in Al Safir, a Lebanese publication, he presents the multiple ongoing catastrophes that confront Gazans and why it is imperative that it receives international humanitarian aid immediately. Welcome back to Arab Talk, Anis.
2: Thank you, Samad. Albeit under these dire circumstances, good to see you.
1: Israel is bombing hospitals, killing medical staff. It has been doing this for years. A few days ago, it bombarded the only cancer treatment facility in all of Gaza. It also bombarded ambulances, leaving Al-Shifa Hospital, killing 15 people and wounding more than 50 others. Does Israel want to ensure that civilians whom it does not kill immediately will still die from lack of care?
2: Yeah, well, um, first of all, Thank you for this introduction. I think it was very accurate. Um, it is important to to understand the fact about uh, warfare. It, and it's a very simple rule that most people who die from wars die after the end of hostilities and not during these hostilities. People, Most people do not die out of bombs and, and, and bullets. They're killed because of the dire circumstances that are created in the area after the war has subsided. And that is the lack of access to food, to water, Healthcare. So, if we look at what's going on in Gaza today, there are two million people there, and there is absolutely no way that they can all be actively killed. And this is a fact that Israel understands perfectly well. So instead, it is resorting to destroying every whatever bit of infrastructure that was already there, in order to achieve it. It's basically taking a page out of the the colonial. uh, you know, a playbook. This is exactly what happened in the Americas when Europeans went to 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 uh, to the Americas. They colonized Americas. Most people died of disease. They were not shot and killed. It was basically the flu that killed most of them. And and here, what we're looking at today is um, is the same scenario that's going to unfold. Uh, already, there has been warnings issued against the outbreak of, of cholera, which is you know a, a waterborne disease that causes diarrhea and uh, is, uh, is contracted from polluted water sources. Today, 90% of all Gazans are drinking polluted water. And we're talking about water that is being taken out of wells that are polluted uh, with, uh, with pesticides, with uh, fertilizers. Uh, it is also with, with seawater. So th- this water is extremely toxic. And it, it causes all sorts of problems, not just infectious diseases, but also uh, causes kidney failure, liver problems, uh, and this is—we're just talking about water. I mean, the uh, uh, Gazans today have access to three liters of water per day. The WHO recommends fifty to hundred uh, liter of water per person per day to reach a bare, you know, a minimum of of uh, their bare minimum to meet their health requirement. So um, this this is what we're looking at today and the the issue is not just about humanitarian aid so because humanitarian aid is a temporary relief structure that is able to meet urgent need but we're to, what we're talking about is a complete destruction of what what was Gaza the, the geographic livable space of Gaza today is destroyed so humanitarian relief will be able to suit some of the problems that are that are here today but will definitely not fix the long term uh, problems and this is something that also must be addressed. So not only the Rafah uh, crossing should be open, not only should uh, aid enter Gaza today, but also plans need to be laid out to basically rebuild uh, Gaza. And this is something that Israel will definitely try to stop, as it has done prior to to October seventh. Uh, we we know that they have delayed the construction. Of water infrastructure, they even stopped. Uh, peop- uh, they they stopped them from from getting their spare parts. They have uh, um, uh, prohibited the entry of CT scans and X ray machine. Uh, there's only forty percent of essential medication that is available in Gaza due to the siege. So all of these issues will have to be addressed ju- uh, immediately after the ceasefire. Well,
1: you're talking about uh, actually these medication, whatever. And, again, in addition to obliterating hospitals. What about medicines, anesthesia, fuel for machinery, dialysis? What is the current status of
2: those? I mean, we have seen absolutely horrific videos and information coming out of, uh, out of Gaza, notably by, by, by Hassan Sitta, who posted um, a, a picture of, um, of vinegar, a, a bottle of vinegar that is, is being used to treat uh, wounds infected with pseudomonas. This is a very annoying, difficult bacteria to treat in the best of healthcare systems. And they are resorting to to medieval practices out of duress it's because they don't have access to these medications. We've seen uh, people operating on children without anesthesia on the ground in front of everyone. I mean, for people to understand how surgeries are done, they are done in rooms where there are no corners. The rooms are designed in the sense that there are no corners so that, so that everything is clean. There are no windows. In uh, in operation uh, operating rooms, everybody is wearing masks. They're wearing protective equipment so that nothing infects the wound. None of this is happening today in Gaza. There are no antibiotics, so infections are running rampant. And, uh, and uh, the the thing is, it is not just about. When you talk about the health situation in Gaza, we're not just talking about the wounded, the injured, the people on, on whom their buildings are collapsing, on which, in, in, in whom shrapnels are embedded, in, in whom like, people who are like, actively injured. We are talking about a population of 2 million people who have diabetes, who have hypertension, who have kidney failure, liver problems, heart problems. What, are happen- what is happening to these people? Do we even know? You know, these people rely on chronic medication on on the regular regular tests. None of these things are are available to them now. These people are actively dying. We just don't know about them, but they are definitely dying. How are they get, How are they taking their daily medication? We have absolutely no idea. So definitely they are dying. Do we Do we think that these people are accessing today their anti diabetic medication or their hypertensive anti hypertensive medication? Of course not. So the the, the scope of the problem is much, much worse than just warfare. It is way bigger than that.
1: The International Organization of the Red Cross stated that the deliberate cutting off electricity to the Gaza Strip imposed by Israeli the Israeli occupation authorities threatens, and I'm quoting you to turn Gaza Strip hospitals into
2: morgues. Your thoughts on this? They already have. They already have turned them into morgues. I mean uh, uh, this, the 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 Ghaz, the, the Palestinian health uh, health sector in Gaza has already completely collapsed. When uh, when uh, hospitals are overflowing with wounded and injured and the dead and the uh, and refugees, when there is no room left to put the bodies, so they go to that they resort to ice cream trucks to put them in. And then when these also overflow, they are they are now doing um, um, mass graves for the Palestinians. The consequences of this is not just. Um, a, a morally repugnant sight to, to to witness. We're talking also about a big uh, public health problem. When we bury thousands of people, we're talking about how what number are we at today? I don't even know, more than 10,000? These people are all being buried in mass graves in less than 360 square kilometers. Bodies, when they decay, also produce bacteria. Clostridium, a typhoid, uh, cholera, tuberculosis—all of these bacteria will seep into the ground and into water sources, and will pollute, uh, you know, uh, uh, the the environment in Gaza. Um, today, also, people are reporting that you cannot walk around Gaza, you can't drive uh, around Gaza because of the, sten- the stench of death. There is more than a thousand people who are still dead under the rubble and haven't been even taken taken out of uh, out from under the rubble. So, uh, also, I mean, we also need to know that. Uh, medieval warfare used to rely on polluting the soil and water sources with bodies. Today, this is also happening in Gaza. I mean, even in death, even in death, people death produces more death in Gaza. This is what's happening today.
1: Israel first sealed off Gaza in 2007. It talked about putting Palestinians on a diet. The population in Gaza today has withstood about 17 years of Israel's calculated inhumanity. It was already considered a humanitarian crisis prior to now. Talk about uh, poverty, unemployment, inability to rebuild already
2: bombed buildings, all a result of Israel's occupation. So before we talk about these factors that influence health, we need to look at the demographics of Gaza on the eve of, of October 7th when we look at the demographics and we say that we see that half of the gaza population are children below the age of 18 and only 3% of residents in gaza reach the not so old age of 65 there is a big question to be asked and that is why are people in gaza not able to grow old that is a very important question that nobody is asking so how come i mean if my parents are 65 are they if they were living in gaza today they would be dead is this a normal situation? Absolutely not. Why can people grow old?
1: What's, what's that in relation to life expectancy, for example, in neighboring countries?
2: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't we don't even have to go into neighboring countries. If you take the average of the life expectancy in Gaza and the West Bank, both combined, you will find a life expectancy that is ten years below that of the, of Israelis living a couple meters away. This is this is health apartheid in practice this is how you can say that undeniably policies are killing people in Gaza long before the war the idea that there's a 10, 10 year gap is huge the idea that only three percent reach 65 years old as 65 years of age is huge these are people who are dying long before they, they don't have they cannot live up until that time why because most of them die of infectious diseases, they although they, they die of, of chronic diseases that are badly managed. They are underfed. You know, they don't have access to to all of the preventive care. They do. They lack access to everything that modern life has to offer in terms of healthcare. These number. I mean, the, the makeup of, of of Gaza society. Is similar to that of 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 a previous century that when when people used to die young because there was no technology, there was no health, you know, there was no progress in, in in health treatment. This is how they were living before October seventh. Today it is absolutely much worse. So let's examine why and how. What are the things that make sure that you die before you reach sixty five years of age? And that is. Lack of a- access to to, to 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 medication. More than uh, than fifty percent of residents have difficulty affording their medication. More than fifty percent of them also have ac- difficulty difficulty paying for uh, for water and electricity. There's eighty percent unemployment. Eighty percent of families were in debt because they needed to 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 buy their necessities. Um, even more worse than that, w- uh, hospitals are ill-equipped because uh, because of the siege. The, uh, equipment is not allowed to enter. Medication is not allowed to enter. So then they the Israeli apartheid devised a system whereby people would apply in Gaza. They would apply for a permit to get out of Gaza into the West Bank to receive their treatment. The WHO counted more than 250,000 applicants between 2008 and 2022. These people applied to the Israeli authorities to go to move from Gaza to, to the West Bank to receive their treatments and come back. Do you know that 40% of these applications were either either denied or delayed? And we're talking about a third of these applicants were kids who have cancer. They wanted to go out to receive their treatments. And among the kids who were approved to go to receive their treatment, 40% of them, the 40% of their parent of, of, of them were denied, their parents were denied the right to take their kids to that hospital to receive that treatment. Do you imagine? A scenario where a kid is traveling either alone or with a stranger to receive any kind of treatment. When we see a kid who has, you know, a minor wound, you know, you have their parents coming with them to make sure that they're okay, so that they're not afraid. And we're talking about kids with cancer who cannot go with their parents to receive chemotherapy in an area that they do not know, and then they have to go back. This is absolute insanity. 800 people among these people, 800 died waiting for the approval to come and it never came for them. This is health apartheid in practice.
1: The demographics you cite, uh, these are figures uh, or compl- compiled by the United States CIA. Uh, so this is something- Demographic Israel- data, yes. Yeah, yeah, this is something Israel is well aware of. 40% of the population is under 14, while only under 3% are older than 65, which is very important. These are the CIS figures. So when Israeli Defense Minister Yoav Gallant states, and I'm quoting here, we will impose a complete siege on Gaza. There will be no electricity, food, water, or fuel. We will close everything. We fight human animals, and we deal with them as such. He's well aware that he's referring to children.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And he's not the only one who made such a reference. Some uh, some other Israeli officials said that they are there are no civilians in Gaza; they are terrorists. terrorists. One of them basically held them responsible for for the Hamas government. We're talking about children. I mean, under any government, these people don't even have the right to vote. They weren't even alive when uh, in two thousand and seven when the siege was put in place. And uh, these are the human animals. Is this what we're talking about? And I think that I mean, and and the, the complicity of um, of so called Western democracies by not just sitting back and watching uh, a genocide unfold but by actively enabling it, 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 it is is this are these the the, the human rights values that, the, the, that we see is this the culmination of human progress when we condemn 50% of a population that's made out of kid we hold them responsible for crimes they have no idea they don't even have the mental capacity to understand and, and we we hold we hold them responsible and we actively enable their genocide is this what what, 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 what what human history has culminated into?
1: Well, apparently, uh, we don't learn from history. That's the unfortunate thing. Israel greenwashes green with its false claims of environmental practices, but it has spread toxic, nuclear-depleted waste throughout Gaza, huge numbers of unexploded bombs continuously blow off the limbs of civilians. What kind of agriculture, let's just talk about agriculture, uh, is possible with such widespread chemical toxins?
2: Honestly, there is no answer because there is no geographic area on Earth that lives with so many uh, toxic chemicals. No studies have been conducted. We don't know. We don't know. There is. I mean, let's also keep in mind that Israel uses as a testing ground for weapon. So we don't even know exactly what they're using, but from what we know that they use, they have used depleted uranium Uh, And this this has been uh, condemned by the EU in 2014. Depleted uranium is a radioactive material that seeps into the soil and water. Its half slice of radioactivity is 4.5 billion years. So wherever you sow depleted uranium, there is no hope for humanity to ever touch that ground or soil or even animals or plants ever again. These materials go into your body and then they radiate from within and kill you. They burn you from within they cause cancer they they deposit in the liver and the kidneys and the bone marrow and they cause also a birth defect they cause child cancer among your progeny in the future your entire progeny is more likely to get all sorts of cancers they've also used white phosphorus we are we're seeing them today actively using white phosphorus white phosphorus is a is a, 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 a incendiary type of bomb phosphorus combusts into flames at 30 degrees celsius and reaches a temperature of a thousand and two hundred degrees celsius it is a sticky waxy material that sticks to your flesh and keeps on burning all up until it reaches the bone and then can also burn the bones themselves then the phosphorus itself is oxidized and this ox- these oxides seep are absorbed by your circulation they deposit into the kidneys and the liver causes failure and a part of the oxide is vaporized. And then it goes into your eyes and into your lungs, where it is diluted by the water that is in your body and it turns into acid and it burns you, it burns your lungs from within and destroys them and also causes blindness. The cluster bombs, I mean, uh, they also prior to October 7th, uh, the, the munitions, the unexploded munition in Gaza are threatening, they were threatening around a million people in Gaza, they are exposed to unexploded material all across Gaza, and most of these of the of these people that we're talking about are kids. They get their limbs uh, blown off. They die, even in times when there is no active military warfare taking uh, taking place. So, if we want to talk about the soil, phosphorus uh, basically seeps into the soil, makes the phosphorus itself, makes sure that plants do not grow then the the, the phosphor the, the phosphoric acid that is a derivative of that phosphorus also makes sure that the pH of the soil is not usable. The depleted uranium is just radioactive material. It just kills everything. So what kind of geographic space from hell are we talking about? Nothing lives there. Nothing, I mean, this space is being turned into an unlivable space. It was already unlivable, but now it, it is just the equivalent of hell on Earth.
1: We know about Israel's methodology in ethnically cleansing Palestinians in 1948 by killing, by, uh, of course, uh, spreading fear, Uh, and by by now, you know, by the indiscriminate killing of civilians and obliterating of infrastructure, schools, hospitals, bakeries, churches. Is Israel trying to impose another mass exodus of Palestinians out of Gaza, similar to the Nakba, now by making Gaza inhabitable?
2: Yeah, that's absolutely what they're doing. This is according to them, not even according to me. I mean, the 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 secret documents that were leaked recently, whereby Israel has a plan to to drive people, uh, the Palestinians, out of Gaza into into si- the Sinai Desert in Egypt. This is a well known fact now. This is a plan that is being enacted, and they do not. Again, I repeat, they do not need to kill every Palestinian with bombs and bullets. All they have to do and all they are doing currently is making sure that this place is unlivable and it will never be fixed as long as they have the, uh, the, the siege in place. When half, when they have destroyed half of all living units in Gaza, when people are being forced, when 70 people are living in the same room, when there is the risk of outbreaks, and we're going to see outbreaks happen. This is a foregone conclusion. We're going to see cholera. We're going to see flu and COVID and, and clostridium. We're going to see all these things. And, and then at some point, they, I mean, they are creating a scenario where not just Palestinians, but even observers, people with with a shred of humanity left in them, when they're going to look at what what's left of Gaza and when they're going to see all of these epidemics and these outbreaks and these deaths, after after the end of hostilities, they are going to be demanding that Palestinian, Palestinians are let out of Gaza. Because of the the, the circumstances and conditions out of the making of uh, of Israel.
1: You're part of the medical community. Uh, what is the medical community is doing about it, or the international, I should say, medical community? Uh, I mean, they must know what you know. Maybe even uh, they've done research on that. What have they been doing about this?
2: I mean, uh, I there is, for example, Médecins Sans Frontières, they have issued a, a very condemning statement, which is a, a somehow a political break with their previous stances, this time they are unequivocally condemning the genocide. There are heroes, I, and I say this word—I mean—in in every sense of the word—heroes like Hassan Abu Sitta, who left their well, uh, London or whatever the, the comfort of their homes to go to Gaza uh, to treat uh, patients. They are reporting—I mean—the the, the things that they are reporting not only are important for us to know what's happening on the ground, but but they are documenting crimes and the scope of it i mean i don't think in any other instance in human history have we had such a televised documented genocide and and the the the, the working conditions i mean i have worked in a country that um that, that was suffering from an economic collapse and covid and i was at, at my wits end during during covid these people i have no idea how they are practicing medicine there i truly have no idea there is no equipment there is a lot of people, a lot of misery. I mean, you have to worry about your family. You have to worry about yourself because Israel is indiscriminately bombing hospitals. Yesterday, they bombed the entrance of Al-Shifa Hospital. The, the amount of stress, of exhaustion, the lack of resources, I truly have no idea what the how they're able to do it, but they are definitely the, the, the heroes of our time. If you
1: were to be optimistic, and that's a very measured word to say, being
2: optimistic,
1: What must happen to prevent this?
2: The end of apartheid. The end of the Israeli apartheid system. There there has to be a ceasefire today. There has to be the entry of humanitarian aid today to relieve the urgent needs of Palestinians. But on the the medium to long term, there has to be the end of apartheid. The siege over Gaza has to be lifted. People, I mean, apartheid breeds inequality. It breeds death. This, This is the whole point of apartheid because there are... Humans and non-human humans. This is how the system perceives Palestinians. There is absolutely no way that we can find a viable solution, a fair, just strictly from the health perspective. There is no solution as long as there is an apartheid state in place. This is unequivocally true, and no single, you know, a public health, uh, you know, um, a professional will tell you that yes, you can have fair health outcomes. Under a system of apartheid, we've seen it happen in South Africa. We've, we're seeing it. We've we've seen it happen in Palestine, and it's it, it's a well-known and documented fact. And anything short of this is is either bad science, or or even uh, I I would say a political uh, corruption of uh, of science to justify uh, apartheid and even genocide today.
1: Doctor Anis Germani, uh, thank you for coming on Arab Talk.
0: Thank you for having me. That's the voice in the face of Dr. Anis uh, Germani, a medical physician in internal medicine, basically talking about medical apartheid and the impact of this genocide on uh, Palestinians living in Gaza and the destruction of hospitals and healthcare infrastructure. Jamal, this is an extraordinary description of an attack on civilian populations and Areas like hospitals and clinics and ambulances, which are protected by the Fourth Geneva Convention, which the Israeli government and military seem to completely ignore. You're absolutely right, Jess. And uh, what Dr. Germani uh, basically spec-
1: uh, you know, specified is that, yes, we're watching in real time this massacre, this genocide, the destruction of hospitals, the killing of children and so forth, and the catastrophic health. Imagine. Uh, he, he, he cited, he, he watched a doctor operate. He didn't even have, an, uh, uh, not only anesthesia, but he didn't have antiseptics. So he was using vinegar. I mean, exactly. we're going back to the Middle Ages. However, what he said, which is the most important thing, is the aftermath. Because the aftermath is going to be worse than what we are witnessing today with uh, what Israel have done the damage to the to water and sa- sanitation infrastructure hospitals the use of uh, depleted uranium uh, polluting earth so phosphorus, what phosphorus so what israel is doing aside from and we'll talk about their plan to ethnically cleanse because this is this is not something we're talking we're making up this is something that leaked from the israeli media about their plan that they set in place to displace 2.2 million palestinians but even after all this death and destruction, and let's say there is a ceasefire, assuming there'll be a ceasefire, Gaza is going to be inhabitable, and so their ultimate goal also is like if you're living there with what remained of your family, you're likely you cannot drink the water; it's polluted. Uh, people are going to be dying from all kinds of things like cancer-related things, and you you would want to pack your bags and leave, and that's their intention. If you're a farmer. Your your, your your the land is polluted, yes, it's toxic. You cannot grow, or if you grow anything on it, it's going to be poisonous. So he's talking, really focusing a lot on the aftermath, which uh, people are not talking about it now because everybody's so occupied with the with the moment. And, and the moment, of course, is very important, but the aftermath is going to be horrific.
0: Well, that's exactly right, Jamal. And basically what we're hearing from colleagues in in Gaza, physicians like uh, Dr. Hassan Abusita, who's the chief uh, trauma surgeon at Al Shifa Hospital, is that he's seeing injuries and consequences of the destruction of healthcare infrastructure that go beyond the immediate and acute uh, destruction that's happening right now. And as Dr. Germani said, everybody's concerned because of the lack of antibiotics, the lack of medicines. Did you know that there are tens of thousands of Palestinians in Gaza who rely on uh, dialysis for their kidney disease, that have not been able to get dialysis for their kidney disease. I mean, the destruction that's going to happen in the future of Palestinians in Gaza being able to access health care and to, and to have any semblance of adequate health care is completely destroyed, Jamal, completely destroyed. And I think Dr. Germani's analysis is very apt. We're concerned right now about cholera because there's a complete destruction of the sanitation system right now, let alone, we're getting into the wintertime, and infectious diseases like flu, cold, COVID, and RSV, and other diseases, which there will be no vaccines available to Palestinian children who are suffering the immediate effects of acute trauma right now. So I think this is a good segue for us to understand what the larger... Israeli plan is and has always been Jamal, is to ethnically cleanse and to remove any semblance of Palestinians anywhere in Palestine. They are using this genocide in Gaza to execute their plan to remove Palestinians from historic Palestine and Gaza right now. Because the land is inhabitable, even though Egyptians will not allow Palestinians to go into the Sinai, let's say, right now, The problem is there is no place to live as a decent, uh, dignified human being anywhere in Gaza right now. So they are doing their plan. The military operation is one aspect of it, but they clearly have a larger plan. And isn't this part of the plan Dalit, Jamal, that we've been talking about for years? Well, the plan Dalit, which was implemented in
1: 1947-48, to ethnically cleanse uh, Palestinian towns and villages by force. This was the intention to just to make sure to grab as much land as possible for Zionist gangs with less people, less Palestinians there. And it's ongoing. I mean, we've talked about this thousands of times about ethnic cleansing that happens in Jerusalem, um, taking people's ID, preventing them from marrying someone from the West Bank and so forth, all kinds of things going on. But what I want to talk about here is what is not been reported that much which is Israel's own plan uh, that was published in the Israeli magazine Mekomit, which was published on the 28th of October which is a leaked document you people can google that and read it a leaked document issued by Israel's Ministry of Intelligence recommending the occupation of Gaza and total transfer of its 2.3 million inhabitants to Egypt Sinai's uh, peninsula the document issued on 30, uh, the 13th of October identifies a plan to transfer all residents of the Gaza Strip to North Sinai as the preferred option. That was among three alternatives regarding the future of the Palestinians in Gaza at the end of the current uh, whatever, war or genocide that is ongoing. And the document recommends that Israel evacuate the Gazan population to Sinai during the bombing, that's why they're dropping leaflets and saying, M- "Move, move, you know, away from this area and that area," and then establish a ten cities uh, in northern Sinai to accommodate the basically the, the ethnically cleansed the population, and then create a security zone stretching several kilometers inside Egypt. So, so then the according to them uh, the. Palestinians would not be allowed. I mean, does this sound familiar? This is 1948 all over again. All over again. The the deported Palestinians would not be allowed to return to any areas near the Israeli border. Okay, so that's the plan that they have put in place. Now, what foiled the plan is Egypt's President uh, Sisi, who, that's not part of this document, but reported, there were other reports, was promised by the United States and the European, European Union and other actors, and of course Israel, that they will pay off the IMF loan to Egypt, all of it, wipe all Egypt's debt clean. And the United States promised to also increase Egyptian uh, USAid to cover the expenses associated associated also associated with the Palestinians living there. and then another thing that was also reported that Egypt would repatriate I mean will give citizenship to X number of Palestinians, other Arab countries will do the same, including the United States will take 200,000, which one of the reports that I've read, different things in European countries, France will take a little bit, the UK will take a little bit and so forth, basically to get rid of the 2.3 million Palestinians in Gaza, and and then Israel can claim all the land. And and anyway, it's not even all the land that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, people have short-term memory maybe, that he showed that map of greater Israel at the United Nations, showing not only entire historic Palestine plus the Golan Heights but plus parts of Jordan and Egypt and, and Lebanon and Lebanon and so forth. But that's the plan. Listen, we can talk about this and people say, oh,
0: this is a conspiracy theory. It's, it's not a conspiracy. We we tell our listeners and viewers, tomorrow look at facts on the ground. Look at facts on the ground and hear it from, ground. from
1: the horse's mouth. And I just want to add to this because just today, Israel's heritage minister, Amichai Eliyahu, said a statement. And what did he say? He said that, in his view, dropping a nuclear bomb on the Gaza Strip is one of the options. That's right. It's all on record that that he actually, because that leaked, that Benjamin Netanyahu had to suspend him. And, of course, he'll bring him back because he cannot live without all the warmongering Ministers around him, just the same way when people called for the suspension of uh, uh, Smotrich and others, he will not can't hold. This is the glue of his government. What his government nice. is, is 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 being held by is is all these uh, extremists. But so, just but these two reports at- alone just should ask should really convince the entire war, world about
0: Israel's genocidal intentions. But, but here's the thing, Jamal, the world does understand Israel's genocidal intentions and their desire to ethnically cleanse Palestinians. The world does understand. The people that are in denial about this are the world leaders, including the Arab governments and Arab regimes who continue to be in denial about it. I mean, it because President Biden hitched his wagon to uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, the the entire weight of the, you know, 2024 presidential election now hangs in the balance. We just saw a poll today that that said that Donald Trump is actually beating Biden in five swing states just right now, and that those polls were done uh, just before the catastrophe, his foreign policy catastrophe, uh, in in Palestine. The the overwhelming majority for example to give you an idea the overwhelming majority of Americans want a ceasefire right now but the Biden administration through the mouthpiece of Antony Blinken are going all over the world basically saying genocide is okay because a ceasefire would only would only help Hamas is their talking point right now so they're willing to sacrifice 2.3 million Palestinians children who are being murdered and currently under the rubble unable to be rescued they're willing to do that to support the, these genocidal claims by the Israeli government. This will haunt them, not just in the 2024 election, Jamal, but the moral depravity of this position of the Biden administration and the West will haunt them for the rest of their lives. Yes, it's unbelievable. I mean, not so just the Biden administration,
1: Biden administration, of course, and Anthony Blinken, who I watched yesterday at a press conference, for uh, foreign ministers in Amman, Jordan, where it's he disgusted. where he was speaking Disgun- along with the uh, foreign minister of Jordan, foreign minister of Egypt, and everyone is saying, "Hey, let's have a ceasefire. The civilians are suffering. They're citing the number of children uh, getting killed." And Ant- Anthony Blinken says, repeats the same thing: Israel has the right to defend itself. Um, there are going to be no no talks about ceasefire unless. Uh, uh, Hamas releases all, all the hostages and Israel uh, needs to finish Hamas basically what he was saying and this is what he was saying listen to this very carefully because this is a repeat of what the israeli ministers like this member of the Otzma Odit party Jewish uh, power means the party, which I forgot his name he said no non combatants in Gaza okay in other words, kill everybody. No non-combatants in Gaza. Well, guess what? 40% of the population of Gaza is under the age of 14 years. So they, that Anthony Blinken yesterday was condemning them to death. Joe Biden already condemned them to death. Hillary Clinton, who, who who's, is not in public supposedly, unless they revive her and bring her back, also condemned them to death. At the same time, and maybe this is glimmer of hope, millions of people are demonstrating across the globe, all over the world, and and in the United States, basically not buying. They're not buying what Nobody. these monsters are saying. People like Bibi Netanyahu and, and Ben Givir, supported by the United States and EU, several EU countries. I mean, it's really disgusting. I mean, they don't watch. How many people were at in Washington, D.C., just yes. You yourself, how many people were in San Francisco? How many people yeah. demonstrated in Detroit? And it's like total uh, uh, disconnect. Disconnect. disconnect, exactly, total disconnect. And they're just going to keep, what did they do? Send $14.5 billion worth of approve,
0: approved now weapons and money to Israel to continue its massacre. Well, that's exactly right, Jamal. And there's there's a lot for us to talk about. We don't have time to talk about it today. But I just want to say a couple of things about that. This foreign policy disaster that is unfolding before our eyes is 10 times worse than what happened in the United States after 9-11 when they, when they killed all those Iraqi children and the Iraqis in Iraq and in Afghanistan. We know that that 20 years of disastrous foreign policy and military destruction in Iraq and Afghanistan caused a, a profound negative or ripple effect throughout the world, and the United States and the world is still paying the price. What is happening in Gaza right now is going to be 10 times worse. This delusion that you can, quote, wipe out Hamas by committing genocide in Gaza and ethnically cleansing Palestinians from Gaza is not just delusional. But it's going to have negative consequences globally right now. And we, we should just take a few minutes to talk about Nasrallah's speech on Friday because we're beginning to see increased uh, activity between the South and Lebanon and, and uh, Israeli uh, uh, communities. <clears throat> Nasrallah gave a very interesting speech, I would say. How was it covered in the Arab world? Well, there is a mixed reaction,
1: and this is actually my answer to that mixed reaction. Because, like everybody was waiting for him to declare war or or say we're going to be like launching missiles in within sixty seconds on Israel, it was a measured speech. Which, in my opinion, it wasn't that measured. Uh, it, he he was basically a tactician. The way he presented the position of uh, Hezbollah. The first thing he wanted to affirm first and foremost is that what happened is uh, this operation into Israel by, by Hamas was exclusively Palestinian, a Palestinian operation and that Hezbollah was not involved and, and Iran was not involved because they're trying to drag Iran and Hezbollah in the planning part and this has nothing to do with that. So I think that's the first message he wanted to convey. The other message is he sent a strong message saying that the, the US is also responsible for the war on Iraq. And I mean, on, uh, on Gaza, just like it was responsible for the war on Iraq. And they're very aware of this. And they're very aware that uh, the United States sent, sent uh, um, you know, uh, naval fleet uh, in right. the Mediterranean. And then, and then the other thing that he said, listen, we dictate when we're going to be involved, not involved. In fact, We've been involved since October 8th, you know, because what right. we've done is we're doing things to draw one third of the Israeli military right. into right. into the northern front, uh, this way, taking some of the pressure on, on, on the Palestinians. And then the other thing is to say, everybody's like waiting for us. You see, he's damned if he, he does, damned if he didn't, because before people said, what well, he got involved in a war in... Uh, with Lebanon, with Israel, he uh, brought this death and destruction to to Lebanon. so he was chastised. and he said, when we did that, everybody was against us now because we're being a little bit reserved. everybody saying, when you're gonna go into war, when you're gonna go into war and then he asked the Arab nations, well, what are you what have you been doing about it? Why should it be expected that we get engaged in this war? Why should Iran be expected? What about all the other 21 Arab ben, nations? What what have they been doing? So, I would say this is my summary of the speech. But I think if I were in uh, in the Israeli shoes, because he also talked about the capabilities of Hezbollah, I would be very worried. It was it he was he was very calm and and didn't make a lot of threats. And it doesn't mean that he might not. Get involved, and if he does get involved, meaning if Hezbollah gets involved, they have superior capabilities than anyone in that whole region.
0: That's right. They have they have uh, military assets, including missiles and uh, uh, other capabilities that are, in fact, far superior to any of the Arab countries uh, in the Arab world right now. It's an incredibly sophisticated uh, arsenal, and I. I I actually had a similar reaction to his uh, speech, Jamal, because I felt it was nuanced. I felt like it was careful. And he knows that, you know, the consequences of declaring uh, an immediate war right now and its consequences in terms of the Lebanese experience right now. But if you look at what's happening on the ground in the north uh, at the border with Lebanon, they have not stopped in terms of what he calls taking the pressure uh, off of Gaza by uh, engaging with the Israeli military on a daily basis. So I actually thought it was a very carefully crafted and uh, well-nuanced speech. I also think uh, that this uh,
1: shuttle diplomacy by Anthony Blinken, traveling from country to country, shows how the United States is so concerned about getting engaged in a regional war. They don't want that. And that's, to tell you the truth, this is also one of the first reactions from the United States, sending experts and generals to advise the Israeli military because they felt like they weren't capable of handling it and they wanted to contain what's going on initially because they thought if Hezbollah joined that battle, Israel might be in deep, you know what. And, and therefore, uh, they, they flexed its, uh, their muscles, the United States flexed its muscles by, by sending aircraft carriers. But at the same time, this whole discussions with neighboring countries, Anthony Blinken, even though he hasn't done anything about a ceasefire, he's also very concerned about having this expand into a regional war with Hezbollah that, of course, we've seen what's going on with the Houthis uh, uh, launching missiles from Yemen and uh, the Iraqis attacking uh, uh, U.S. military bases. So if Hezbollah is engaged, I feel that the United States will be compelled to join in military, and that's the last thing the American public wants, the last thing, especially with all the commitments that we've made to Ukraine.
0: Well, I think that's exactly right, Jamal. And that's why this particular moment uh, is of great uh, historical significance. We have an unfolding genocide occurring in Gaza right now with the world community standing up against it, standing up against you know these atrocities that are being committed right before our eyes. But again, unfortunately, we're faced with this painful reality that world leaders are turning a blind eye to this kind of genocide. And The consequences of this, Jamal, are not just, you know, locally in Palestine. I feel like the consequences of this are going to be with us for generations to come. You've
1: been listening to Arab Talk on KPO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Go to our website, ArabTalkRadio.com to download the latest shows, and we'll talk to you next week. See you next week.